Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a quick little GDP minute. Now, guys, I said it last week with the Ninkovich episode. I'm going to say it this week again. The only way I can grow this podcast and spread the brand is with your help. For real. If you guys get any sort of value from this episode, and I mean it really, if you get any sort of entertainment, you learn something, you're informed, it gives you just a nice one hour escape from your day, all the misery and treachery that you deal with on a daily basis, and you can just coast through for an hour, please share this with a friend that you think might like it. We grow the podcast super organically. Your share means everything to me. Just share it with a friend. I know you got a friend who's a Pats fan. Just share it, please. Thank you so much, man. That's number one. Number two, I just ran an episode with Matthew Slater, the Patriots captain. And I know you guys always hear me gas up about destiny and hard work and getting places and all everything about success. But it is crazy, man. It's the Patriots captain, dude. Two and a half years ago, I would have prayed for an episode like that, you know? Anyway, what a great dude. What a great dude. Nicest dude ever, man. For real. Matthew talked a lot about his faith in the beginning, which I liked a lot. Really cool dude. Um, Talked about his thoughts on destiny. He talked about the Patriots this season, some of his favorite Patriots stories. If you're a Patriots fan, you'll really enjoy this. And what a kind guy, for real. That's that. I hope you guys enjoy. I really, really liked it. One of my top five favorites ever. For real. This is like the 239th episode we've ever run, which is crazy. And with that being said, I also just want to shout out Brendan. For real. Brendan. Helped me produce and prepare like crazy for this one. So thank you so much. And um, sending this to Riley. Shout out to Riley for editing it and producing it. Shout out to Bix for all the graphics. Shout out to Lexi as always. And guys, please enjoy. This is Matthew Slater's Golden Hour. And also, I just got the second cut in on our movie. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Can I just ask you a quick question? What, all, so I know three Patriots players now, right? Uh-huh. I had conversations with three of you guys, with Ninkovich, Devlin, and you, and all you guys say, thank you, brother. It's like the signature. <laughs> is, it, is it code? It must be code. I don't know anyone else who calls each other brother. Like, I know someone, who, you could say, like, what's up, brother? Or, like, what's up, boy? But brother. We do it all the time. If you didn't point that out, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have realized it. We do it all the time. <laughs> it's like a locker room thing. You guys just say, my brother. I, I feel like I did it even more with, with James and Rob, for sure. So funny, man. And, and then, oh, like, e- even in text, you guys text out brother. <laughs> it's not even bro. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, man, I'm Connor, dude. I'm glad we finally met. Yeah, likewise, Connor. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 100%. Um, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yes. I'm Matthew Slater and uh, special teams captain for the New England Patriots. I consider myself one of the most fortunate men alive to be doing what I've been doing for the last 13 years. Uh, I've been a part of the greatest organization in sports with some of the best people in sports. And um, had the time 
time of my life. So um, proud to be a, a patriot, proud to represent New England. Thankful for everything I've experienced there. Now, when we were talking on the phone, you said you had a big, a big grill plan for Saturday. What'd you end up whipping up? So I went with I went with some St. Louis ribs. Uh, yeah, do the three, two, one method. So smoke them for three hours, wrap them for two hours in foil with with brown sugar, um, apple juice, honey, and butter. And then you sauce them and put them back on for an hour. Now, the real like smoking experts, they don't like the the wrap method, but I'm an amateur. So I use the wrap method, um, but I, I enjoy some nice barbecue from time to time. Wait, can, so can you elaborate? So you put the, the ribs on your Traeger, correct? For three hours. On my Traeger. Three hours, 180, just get a good smoke flavor in there. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to oversmoke it and dry it out, so that's why I go ahead and wrap it, which also helps the cooks uh, speed up a little bit. So then I I take it off after three hours at 180, turn the grill to 225, get like two aluminum foil, um, brown sugar on top, honey on top, butter, some apple juice in there, wrap it up tight, on for two hours at 225 and then take it off after two hours, put whatever barbecue sauce you put it back on for an hour and you're in bed. Now, have you ever thought of like maybe firing up your own barbecue sauce? You got the clout to do you it, know, right? You, you can dabble a little bit, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I'm there yet. I know a guy like, uh, you know, Vince, big Vince Wolfer. He was like, the grill master. I'd like to see somebody like that do a, a barbecue sauce. I'm, I'm still, I still consider myself an amateur. I'm still, you know, getting into this thing a little bit, but it's a lot of fun. Well, I was, I was telling all my friends when I was like, yeah, I got Matthew Slater coming on the podcast. We were on the phone. I was like, Hey, what, uh, what relevant episodes do you want me to send you? And you're like, well, I'm a big smoker. I was like, Oh dude, I got these friends who run this fat weed company. They were super high. Like they were high on like mushrooms. Dude, you're going to love it. You're like, no, a smoker, like grilling. I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. Well, um, so I had asked Rob, I was like, Rob, what, uh, what's something you think I should ask Matthew about? He was like, dude, I've never met anyone so devoted to his faith. Can you kind of talk about like kind of maybe growing up a Christian and like how that's played a role in your success as a football player? It was huge for me. You know, I, I think for me, it all started at home. Um, you know, I think the environment that you come from is so, so important in a good way or a bad way. And I think, you know, I grew up in a very loving home and my exposure to faith was a, a, a positive one. A lot of times you hear kids, they grew up in, in, homes where faith was important, but they had a negative experience. And I think for me, the authenticity that my parents had as they walked out their faith uh, really rubbed off on me. And, you know, I think in my life, my father has been someone I've always looked up to. I wanted to be just like him and to see him uh, handle himself after playing 20 years in the National Football League, he always had a great perspective on life. And I think he found that perspective through his faith. I think he found, you know, a deeper sense of purpose, a uh, deeper sense of community, deeper sense of commitment to his family. And the vehicle for that was his faith in Christ. So 
that was something that he shared with me at a very young age. But I think there was a journey, right, for me to have to own it myself. I mean, you can't you can't just do something because your parents do it. You have to find who you are and you have to find, you know, for me. And I think certainly from the time, probably probably from the time I was in like seventh grade all the way until now, kind of been on that journey. And what I found, you know, the same things that I think a lot of people find in faith. I think, you know, purpose, meaning, I think uh, a sense of peace and hope that it gives me. And it, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it, and it allows me to see the world through uh, a great set of lenses in my mind. And, you know, I'm just so thankful that my parents exposed it to me. I'm thankful for everything that, you know, Christ has done for me and my relationship with him. And, and certainly you mentioned football. I think, you know, football is a tough sport to be a part of. There's so many unknowns, right? They're just, you know, injury, making the team, contract situations, you know, friends coming and going. And I think my faith has really helped me navigate that. Uh, you know, just having that, you know, I, I'm a, someone that believes that everything happens for a reason, um, you know, whether good or bad. And then there's purpose behind everything. So I think that's really helped me navigate fear. Um, it's helped me navigate my personal life as I, you know, try to lead a family, wife and three kids under five. You need a lot of faith raising three kids under five in a pandemic is straight chaos. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something that uh, has really given me a foundation to everything that I do in this life. And, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine living life without my faith. Now, growing up, so when you kind of got caught the Christian hook, seventh grade, were you going to church a couple times a week? Were you praying regularly? How did you kind of ease into it? Yeah, you know, for us, like church was a big part of everyday life. You know, my, my parents are from Mississippi, uh, grew up Baptist. So like they were at church all week. Like I remember my grandfather, they lived walking distance from the church. He was in the choir. He was, you know, an elder. He was doing this. So they were at church like every day. So for us, we were at church probably three days a week, not as much as my parents were. Uh, but, you know, and time of reflection and reading the Bible. And, you know, I was in the choir as a kid, even though I can't sing a lick, uh, just those things were part. And it was just something that was uh, very much just part of who we were. So I never really questioned or thought about it uh, until I got a little bit older. And then I was able to kind of like ask questions and I think investigate it for myself. But uh, like I said, I think for me, I had a great, indoctrination to it because because of the home and environment I grew up in and, and I, as I said I think you know that's important as parents as you introduce your children to to values or, or however you decide to raise your kids how you go about that is huge and the example you set is huge and I think you know again I was very very fortunate to have parents that that really lived it out they were transparent with their flaws they were honest they communicated uh, and they, they made me feel safe about the way I approached exploring my faith. Now, I grew up going to church like just in the summers on Sundays. And one of those from that, like a Catholic family who you just go to like a Christmas service, maybe an Easter service, and, like a funeral and a wedding. Um, 
I was always just super bored. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, so your parents made it fun for you? Because in seventh grade, I couldn't imagine just sitting there and being pumped to like hear a priest talk. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think my dad, um, my dad's a great storyteller. And he did a great job of, I think, paying a picture of what his, his life was like with faith and without faith. He did a great job of like, uh, you know, making the Bible come alive when he'd read it to us at night. I mean, it was exciting. We looked forward to it. And, you know, I think I was really fortunate. Again, you hear people in their experiences with church, they're all different, right? But I was really fortunate to be in a place where the genuine, um, uh, you know, you always hear hypocrisy being an issue in church. I didn't experience a lot of that. I had genuine people that were really trying to serve fun normal people uh you know they love sports they love the things that i love but at the end of the day they love jesus and and it made it fun for me uh you know we had great youth ministry pastors were a lot of fun we did a lot of things so you know it was you know it wasn't really like super super strict like southern baptist it was uh but it, it wasn't super liberal either it was just you know hey we're people living life trying to figure it out we're gonna have fun doing this together um they, they kept a lot of activities going and they just engaged children. They did a great job of that. Now I could be totally wrong, but at least in like my bubble. So I went to Providence college, which is a Catholic school. And even at my school, there was just a small bubble of people who were disciplined when it came to being a Christian in my generation, at least I feel like there's, there's less retention for people. I'm 25 for people my age to show up to church regularly. Do you feel that way whatsoever? You feel like there's like a drop off generationally? Yeah, definitely. It's funny you said I've had this conversation with a lot of friends of mine that are pastors around my age, some a little bit younger, some a little bit older. And it seems like, you know, the youth nowadays are kind of going in a different direction. Maybe they grew up in church or maybe they were never exposed to it. And for whatever reason, they've been soured on church or it's just not important or it's inconvenient, whatever the reason may be. I, I do get that feeling. Uh, but I think that faith is one of those things that, you know, it does take uh, some investigative work. Right. Like I would never I would never want anyone just to believe something just because I believe it. I think that you should investigate it. And I think now. You know, we just have access to so many different things. You know, people, you know, if you want to get into this thing away uh, on a computer screen or on phone, um, you know, it's a, it's a Google search away. So I think all those things kind of contribute to you know, young people and their interest in faith. I, I think I also think that the more you learn, I think in a way that can kind of be a deterrent. Uh, the more knowledge you accumulate, it's kind of like, well, you know, I figured out this kind of way of thinking for myself and that's how I'm going to do it. And that's, you know what, again, I mean, everyone's got to make a choice that they feel like is right for them. And, and again, I would always say you should investigate these things. Don't just do it because you got to do it. That's how faith should be done. I think it's something that you should pursue, investigate. And if you feel like, Hey, this is something that I can align myself with then do it. If not, you know, you got to find your own path and figure out kind of what's going to work for you. Now, you're a Baptist? So we go to, you know, non-denominational. So okay. uh, we didn't, our church was kind of like a standalone church. Um, 
uh, you know, the pastor there had a Baptist background. He went to a Baptist seminary, but we didn't have any ties to the Baptist church. Now, I asked that because in a lot of Christian faiths, damn, I'm getting deep. I haven't had a religious talk in a long time here, man. This is um, awesome. Dude, Pastor Slater, my guy. <laughs> um, in a lot of Christian faiths, there's uh, the thought of predestination. Like, you know, like destiny and God choosing your path for you. Is that something you personally believe in? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, that's one that's tough to navigate, right? It's uh, because you think about man and you think about free will. And certainly I think that that's something as humanity that we that we like. Like we like to be able to have free will and, you know, fancy that we have choices in all the things that we do. Uh, you know, obviously there are, you know, you think about Calvinists and sects of, or denominations of Christianity, predestination is big for them. I think that's something that I'm still in the process of trying to gain better understanding. Uh, certainly I have a belief in a God that, uh, you know, nothing is outside of his understanding or knowledge or awareness. He understands and knows all that is my personal belief. So, you know, that being said, it's like, well, how do you. How do you sort that out as it relates to predestination? Um, there's certainly scriptures in the Bible that that would lead you to believe that that's something that exists. But, you know, it's I'd say that's one that I'm still in the process of of sorting out. And, and that's the beauty of faith. I don't think you ever arrive at a place where you feel like you have a full understanding of your faith. I think it's a constant investigation. Uh, but that's a, that's one that's tough for a lot of people because you feel like, well, man, certain things that go on in the world, bad things that happen, was a God who cared. Why would he allow these things to be predestined or happen? And I think that that can be a hangup for some folks uh, and leave them with a lot of questions. So, you know, I'd say in that category, put me in the still searching. Well, it's, it's an interesting question for you, too, at least, because you've you've had a career like nobody else. There must be like times along the way in your Patriots career where you're like, this seems like hyper real. This seems like somebody really pushed me along this path. Do you ever feel that way? No question. I mean, that's a, that's, I'm glad you said that. You know, I look at my career and I look back to college, uh, someone who never started a football game in college. And I played the majority of my playing time was, on special teams. And then, you know, I played some defense uh, towards the end of my career, but I look at my career and it just doesn't seem real for someone in, in my position to have lasted this long for one uh, and to have been a part of such a successful team. And for some reason uh, have had some personal success. I certainly feel like it's a, a gift from God. I feel like I've been very blessed because, you know, yeah, I work hard, but a lot of guys work hard. Um, I've got some talent, but a lot of guys have talent. Uh, so I certainly feel like God has had his hand over my career and certainly ordered my steps. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. But I, but I personally believe that, you know, I'm not just having success in football just, just so I can say, Hey, like, you know, I won Super Bowls or I went to pro bowls. There's something more to this. And I think, you know, part of my belief is to, that when people ask me that, I want to make sure that they know that personally that to him and his favor and his blessings. And that, you know, I, I think that football can be used as a bridge to, to connect with people, forge relationships, 
and do things that I otherwise might not have been able to do uh, without football. So it's really not about me. When I look at my career, it's not about me. It's about the people around me. It's about how I can leave a mark and, and hopefully show people the love of God that I believe is real in a real way and, and uh, you know, leave things better around me. Now, on that note, have there been like, have there been moments when you look back that they went the right way, but you said, wow, my story could be completely different if they went another way? I mean, obviously, there are, there are game <laughs> situations like that. I mean, you've won like crazy Super Bowls, but even in your own life. No question. Uh, you know, I think back to even again, back to college. And I think important time for me in my faith development, but, you know, also as an athlete, you know, I, I was injured for four of the five years I was at college. And really, there was a time there where I was like, man, I don't I don't know about football. It just may not be in the cards for me. You know, you're dealing with pain, you have surgery. And, you know, it just seems like everything going against you. Right. And I think there was a time there that I really had to think like, man, how much do I love football? Like, is this something that I really want to continue to commit myself to? Is this something that is worth the squeeze? Is the juice worth the squeeze? And I think that was a, that was a pivotal time, certainly for me in my football career, but you know, in my development as a man, I think it was important. And to be able to exercise the discipline of finishing what you started was important to me. So that was initially my, my motivating factor. All right, like this thing may be, may be done at the end of my senior year, but let's finish it strong. And then just having faith that everything is happening for a reason and let's try not to miss the lesson. So that was a pivotal point for me. I think the times during my rookie year, my rookie year was atrocious. I mean, I don't know how I didn't get cut. I should have been cut. And just like trying to endure through that, you know, struggles on the football field, struggles off the football field, just dealing with confidence issues and things like that. So there have definitely been pivotal moments that I feel like if they had gone the other way, you know, who knows where I'd be right now. Now, just talk like on your college career, when you're getting hurt, injured like crazy, I know you had said like you always looked up to your pops. Was there a moment where you're like, damn, like I might not be able to play professionally and I like, I feel like I might be letting him down. You know, the, I never thought like I would be letting them down. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. I just know every dad wants their son to do exactly what they do. You know, <laughs> is, right? one of your kid, I mean, is one of your kids a son? So I have two sons. Oh, my you want them both? And my youngest. Lead. You want them both? <laughs> and my, my wife is always like checking me on that. Like you have your expectations. You can't put that kind of pressure on them. And I'm like, no, no, I just, I want them to enjoy the game the same way I do. Uh, so I think well, that's one of those things that you have to be careful as a parent. And the, the beauty about it was my dad didn't want me to play football. Like there were several times as a youngster, I was like, all right, dad, I want to play tackle football. And he was like, no, you can't play. Like, I don't want you to get hurt. And he didn't want us to feel that pressure. Like, you know, your Hall of Famer son and people have these expectations. He's got to be this. Like they'd look at me and they'd be like, you're not bigger. Like your dad's 6'4", 300 pounds. And you're, you know, 200, like, what are we doing? What's what? You're not Jackie Slater, son. So I had to deal with that. I, yes. I got it from my mom, so I always tell people I got that from my mom. But I think like navigating that young age helped me so that by the time I was in college, that wasn't really a concern letting down my dad. Um, 
but you know, you know, there was there was a sense of like, you know, just overall disappointment. I didn't think that the NFL was a possibility for me until midway through my senior year. I think like after my first couple years not really playing, being hurt, and then just position things like that, I was like, well, you know, I don't think the NFL is a real possibility. Uh, but let me just keep working. Let me stay true to the process. And I think, you know, in life, that's kind of what I had to do. Like, look, I'm sure there are points when you were trying to get your podcast started and get your, your thing going, you hit some obstacles. That's just part of life. And I think there's something to be said about staying true to the process and trying to finish what you start. And that's what my mindset was. And then, you know, thankfully things start falling in the senior year, make a few plays here and there. And, and then, you know, wind up with a chance to to at least get into a camp and see what I could do. Now, were there other storied special teamers before your career had started? Like, has that ever happened before? Yeah, you know, the, the first name that comes to mind is Steve Tasker. Um, he played in Buffalo during their Super Bowl runs there. He went to seven Pro Bowls. And I think he was the guy that kind of put special teams on the map. Like you looked at him and the way he played, the impact that he had. And I think coaches and players around the league start seeing like, all right, this third phase of the game can make a difference. And if you get the right people in place, this can help us win. I think, you know, there you start seeing guys carry guys specifically for special teams purposes. So, I, you know, I attribute uh, Steve, with the success that a lot of us are having now, he paved the way. And there were uh, certainly there were others, Bill Bates in Dallas and a few other guys around the league. I know there's some guys that play with my, with my dad as well, but I think they kind of got it, got the ball rolling. And I, I think now you've gotten into the place where you look at almost every team, they've got a guy you can go to and say, man, that guy's on the team to play special teams. And he does it at a high level and he helps his team win. You ever have moments where you're like, yo, I would really love to just be a running back right now. Like, I'm just kind of getting sick of this, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I when I came in the league, you know, watching Randy. Oh, he was Randy balling. And he was balling. And then watching Gronk, you know, and watching Jules over the years. Yeah, I'm down games like, man, I, was, I wish I was out there catching some passes, going some tugs, you know. Uh you certainly dream. I think as a kid, like I'd be lying if I said, man, my dream as a kid was to go to the NFL and play special team. No, nobody, nobody's like dreaming that, like, unless you're like a kicker or a punter. But for me, like my dream was to and be the next Randy Moss or be the next Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce, whoever it was. So certainly there's those moments, but then I quickly snapped back to reality. You know, I got to go cover this punt. So, uh, I, you know, I love what I do. And I'm very fortunate to be doing it. Were you playing Madden at UCLA at all? I was a heavy NC2A football guy when what, I was at UCLA. Year? So it would have been like 04, 05, right in there. So that was a – I mean, that was – I played way too many video games in college. Wait, so you way were, when you were playing NCAA football, you were playing the game as well? Was, yeah. Did you, you were playing with yourself, weren't you? <laughs> I mean, we used to have some competitive, like competitive games there. Uh, Maurice was a, a teammate of mine in college uh, and, and still is a good friend of this day. I mean, we'd go to his room 
and we'd play for hours and guys would be, you know, guys would be putting money on the game. We didn't, nobody had any money, but <clears throat> guys are putting money on the games. Guys are like fighting over the game. It was so much fun. And the best though was like, if I was playing Maurice and he was the running back and I could run for like 250 yards with Maurice, it's Maurice. Then I'd just be talking so much trash. It was so much fun. Those were some good times. I think the NCAA games, they don't actually tell you the name of the player, though, right? Like, it was just the number? No. It would just be, like, number 21. His number would be, like, number 21, number 18. Because uh, we all know how the college thing goes with athletes and paying the athlete and et cetera. But, uh, yeah, it w- there were no names on there. How was your rating? Do you remember? Probably subpar. <laughs> <laughs> Since I wasn't a starter, it was probably some. I don't remember though. I think I'd just be happy when I was on the game. I would have padded you. You should have just put yourself a running back, quarterback, played every <laughs> single position. <laughs> now I know I sent you the video, but dude, I need a little bit of help on that. Uh, that first split explosive explosivity. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, man. I was like, damn, this dude really was half my time. Do you think you could still run like a four three or four four? I mean, I, I feel pretty good about my speed. That's the one thing that that's that's held up for me as I've gotten older. Uh, I might have to be really loose. I might have to get a great warm up, uh, especially at thirty five years old. I might have to be stretching for a couple hours beforehand. But uh, you know, I, I always tell people I'm, I'm fast enough to still get the job done. But you know, you gotta you gotta help yourself out. You're running in, you know, heavy snow. Field's not cleared off. I like you to run at least, at least a four nine nine. We just got to get you in some good footwear, get you on a good surface. Get maybe a couple couple training sessions. Maybe I like some, you for a maybe four nine nine. Maybe some PEDs too. I could use those. <laughs> well, there's always that. There's always that too, right? Dude, I was like so shocked when I came back eight eight. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> It's a lot yeah. harder than it looks, huh? Well, mind you, I'm training for a marathon right now. I'm tra- I'm running a marathon March right. 7th, so I'm in good shape, but I am not fast, man. <laughs> Holy shit. It's a different, you know, I mean, that's that's such a different, you're, you're training different muscle groups. You're training the body to run, you know, slow and steady as opposed to being, being explosive. Uh, it's, it's totally different training style. Yeah, you got to give yourself a little, you know, a break you train the right way like i said good surface 499 499 i like that thank you that's generous now in terms of your longevity like have you prioritized like functional stretching functional training throughout the course of your career are you on the tb12 method like man that's such a great question i i think every year what I what I do in the offseason, what I do throughout the year has changed. It's evolved. I mean, you, I came in the league. I was 22 years old. Terribly, I slept terribly. My training wasn't great. You just had raw ability. You were young. Your body was able to do it. But I think you know, as I've as I've gotten older, I've learned the importance of training. I've I've learned the importance of, you know, being strategic with your lifting, with your rehab. Uh, depending on what time of year it is, you know, I think maintaining strength is so important year round uh, because, you know, the older you get, the more out of shape you get, the harder it is to get back into shape. So for me, it's been a year round process. 
you know, mobility, flexibility has been huge because we do so much in football to tighten up, whether it's sprinting, hitting, lifting, everything is kind of tensing the muscles, tightening up. So you hear Tom talk a lot about pliability. You know, I think there are different approaches to that, but certainly that there's a lot of validity in what he's saying. Like you want the body to be strong, but loose and functional and, and mobile. And I think I've taken a little bit from everybody. Like there are a lot of guys that have had success with longevity in this league. I mean, I, I was raised in a house with one who played for 20 years and he didn't have access to the stuff we have now. So that's been a process. Dieting has been huge. Uh, although I will eat a strawberry. I know Tom doesn't eat strawberries. I will eat a strawberry from time to time. Just have to find what works for you. I don't think there, there's one way to do it. You know, like the old saying, more than one way to skin a cat. And I think for me, I've taken bits and pieces from different people's routines, whether it's a mobility routine, whether it's a diet, a dieting approach, a lifting approach, and I've made it work for me. And, you know, ultimately I've been blessed obviously with good health, but it's certainly been, been a process. So, I mean, I know as an NFL player, you got to be strong, you got to be fast, but, but you're prioritizing your speed more than anything, given your position, right? Yeah, I think for me, like, on speed is everything. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of ways that you see guys playing gunner. Like, I think about Justin Bethel and myself. We're very different in our play styles. But ultimately, we both have to be able to run at the end of the day. And I think, you know, speed is, is very important for me. But what was telling me when I came in the league is when the legs go, the speed goes. So, for me, training my legs is very important. Like people get so caught up in like how much do you bench or this, that, and the other, but training legs, you know, squatting, uh, maintaining flexibility, training my calves the right way to try to protect the Achilles, all those things, hamstrings, protecting them with certain exercises has been huge for me in trying to help me, you know, I always say retard the aging process. Like let's slow it down as much as we can and try to get as much juice out of this lemon as we can. And that's been big for me. So off season, what is your training split right now? So right now, you know, obviously you take a couple of weeks to, to get yourself kind of back to base. Um, that doesn't mean two weeks sitting around. That means like, you know, get a Peloton, take a walk with the wife and kids, stay on the yoga routine and stuff like that. Get good treatment. And then, you know, now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm back into it. I, I haven't started running yet, but you know, I'm squatting, uh, I'm doing little like muscle group exercises, adductors, hamstrings, calves, uh, a lot of work like that, shoulders, things like that, you know, old injuries that you kind of have to keep up with. So I do that five days a week. Um, I don't lift five days a week. I lift four days a week, but I'm doing maintenance and stuff like that five days a week. Uh, now it's more low impact stuff, swimming, biking. I got my wife this Peloton downstairs and I didn't think I'd ever use it. And I probably use it as much as she does now. So doing those things, cross train, whereas, you know, maybe when I was younger at this time, I'd already be running, but I think now it's more about like, how can we strategically preserve the legs, the joints, but still get work and stay strong. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. I've started to work in a lot of cross training into my marathon training as well too because i was just eating injuries early on because it's like you go on your sunday long run like i have a 21 mile this sunday and i mean dude just the recovery is so essential 
now when it comes to swimming are you like going to a town pool and like just putting laps in so we have a we have usually i go to like you know we have a little health club close by and i go swim there or something like that we have a swim x uh kind of like a resisted wave pool at work so i'll just do laps there like time laps uh just try to get the heart rate up hey you know i'd swim laps we've gone to the ymca in foxborough um and different places like that just to kind of get the distance in and i mean look i'm i'm not made for swimming now i go in there and i feel like i sink like a rock but that's that's been a nice cross training just to get like your cardio going without pounding the joints and uh it's a lot harder who doesn't do a lot of swimming it's it's a lot harder than it looks yeah for sure and it's so got so boring so boring oh i mean it's just like you're like man when is this gonna be over <laughs> but and then I'll go I'll go to the pool like the the local YMCA and I'll see like the seniors in there and they're swimming laps from, like they're killing me like they're down back and I'm still going down um, it's so frustrating but uh you know I, I tip my hat to all swimmers out there yeah this is just a for anyone listening or tuning in the YMCA pools are essentially just a retirement home you're gonna be the, <laughs> you're gonna be the youngest in there trust me <laughs> They're getting their work in, though. They're still getting their work in. Dude, I was so bored with swimming. I, like, I bought these expensive uh, underwater headphones, and they just did not work. And I was like, all right, man, this is just brutal. <sighs> and now for a swimming workout for you, are you, like, are you breaking it up by stroke? Or are you just going, like, 45 minutes of freestyle? It would be more freestyle. So if we go to the pool, <clears throat> you know, our strength coach will write out like a workout. Hey, we want to do 800 meters today. I will break it up. We'll do five sets, 50 meters, and then we'll do, you know, 10 sets of, you know, hundred meters. So they'll kind of break it down and they really time the recovery. I mean, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to be getting in there. Michael Phelps in it, you know, hitting it quick down back. Like it's going to, it's a struggle for me. So it's more about time recovery than anything. Uh, you know, obviously you don't want to be doggy paddling halfway through the stroke, but, uh, for us, it's about just getting the good quality work. Don't stop. Keep going, you know, time the recovery to a point where you're probably still gas when you go again and getting that, getting the distance in, which for swimmers, from what I understand, if I say, you know, I had 800 meters, they're probably like, yeah, we did that for a warm up. But for me, it's like the hardest thing I've done all week. So. Uh, it's different. Like you said, that cross training is very different. And running, are you talking, you're doing sprint training or you're actually doing long distance running? So in the off season, the running, I mean, most of the stuff we do is high speed work. Uh, I mean, we call it, you know, high speed. Like that's our, like, we call it a speed vaccine. So like the more you can get your body used to moving at high speeds, the more it protects the tendons, the muscles and things like that. So we want to get, you know, X amount of yardage in at higher than 14 miles an hour or whatever it may be. And then obviously we'll have, you know, hyper-focused speed work where we're, you know, we're close to 90 to hundred percent. So we do that, I would say three times a week. And then there, there are days where we'll go for our conditioning where it'll just be like, uh, they call bout runs. Well, we'll go out there and Hey, you need to cover 
750 yards in three minutes and we'll go on the field and it's kind of up, down, up, down, up, down, just to build that aerobic base. So you said bounty runs, uh, bout runs, bout runs, they call them bout runs. three minute round, three minute runs. Like, you know, almost like you're fighting about and the rounds are three minutes each. So those I hate, cause I'm not built to run long distance. I'm built for it's a lot of recovery, short sprint again, but I think it's good for that aerobic just to get like your legs underneath you, get your lungs, your body acclimated to running. So that's stuff that we do in the off season. And I think in season, everything we do is pretty like football specific. Um, whether it's positional work where you're sprinting, decelerating, changing direction. Um, that's usually what we do, you know, in season and out of season and then sprinkling that long distance stuff in during the off season. No, I'm sure you've started to get this question so much about retirement. You probably want to punch everyone in the face who brings it up. It's like, dude, just shut up. But let's say, let's say you retire when you're like 55, right? I'd love for you to play forever, man. It'd be awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. Have you thought of like shifting into some other type of sport or training or competition post football? Me about this all the time. She's like, you're going to need an outlet. I was going to say, you'd be so bored. I don't know. I'm very competitive. And, I, and, you know, you hear guys say this. I think all guys that are super competitive, right? And they need some kind of outlet, that competitive release. So I think for me, I'm going to have to find something. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, but I think <clears throat> one of the things I love most about football is competing. I love that. You know, what's one of the things I love most about sports in general? Just lining up out there. It's you against the other guy let's see who can get their job done. And, and then ultimately let's see what team is going to be more successful. So for me, I'm going to have to find a way to do that. I, I, I noticed, you know, this off season, I was coaching my son's soccer team before the pandemic. Now this was like when he was three at the time. And I'm like, feel my blood boiling. Like I'm ready to start yelling. I'm ready. Like you guys got to lock in here. And I'm like, wait, these kids are three years old. Like you need to, you need to calm yourself down. So I don't know that coaching kids sports is going to be my forte because I'm a little too competitive. But I think once my kids get older, I'd like to help out, maybe coach their teams. And then ultimately, you know, find something that's competitive where I can kind of get that that release and, and get my get a good headspace and go out and compete in some form or fashion. Yeah, I wonder if like maybe you want to get into an Ironman or something like that. If you already have the swim training. Ooh, and I'll tell you, the Ironman would be great. If it wasn't for the long bike ride, the long swim, and the long run. So, in other <laughs> words, the Ironman is not for me. I have so much respect for those athletes. I mean, they have – you just talk about mental toughness. To be able to put your body through something like that and to train for something like that, it's unbelievable. I used to train at a place in California where there were a lot of uh, Ironman folks training. And, I mean, these people were nuts. I mean, they'd be – they have all kinds of injuries and they just find a way to push through it. I mean, I, I have so much respect for them, but I don't think you're going to catch me doing one of those. It's, it's insane. Like they devote on a Saturday or Sunday in the peak of their training, like seven hours of training in the day. It's crazy. That's unbelievable. I don't know how they do it. Like imagine just no sitting, on a bike, sitting on a bike for seven hours. Not happening. I know you could be grilling, dude. You could be doing your three, yeah, two, exactly. one. I can have some ribs on. I mean, you want, you want me seven hours of training, eat ribs. I think that's an easy choice. 
Now, uh, one of our producers had a really good question, Brendan. He said, was it when you became a captain, was it an adjustment of like commanding the respect of other Patriots players because Tom was the other captain? Was that tough for you? Or like, how did you guys sort that out? How does that normally yeah, work? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's tough. I mean, obviously you come to a team established with so many established players and a player like Tom, finding your can be challenging. And, and I think, you know, leadership is a tricky thing. You, you know, you have great leadership. It can really be an amazing thing. If you have bad leadership, it can really go in the other direction. So I think for me, you know, those first few years sitting in the room with Tom, trying to lead with Tom, it was very difficult to like know when exactly to speak of, how to do it. But Tom made it easy. I mean, he made he made everyone in the building comfortable being themselves. And he allowed people to excel in their roles. He gave everyone, I think, kind of equal ground to stand on. And that was great for me. It was I was so blown away by the way he carried himself by the way he encouraged me to lead and to find my voice. And I think he, he played a big part in that for me personally, in my development as a player, but as a leader, I mean, Tom played a huge role in that. And then ultimately at the end of the day, it was my job to lead guys and do what I could, which started with me doing my job, but it was Tom's team, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we were all looking to him to the final word, to final say on whatever it was. And we knew that he was going to, you know, make things happen and lead us in the right way. So, you know, I consider myself very fortunate to have learned from someone like him, have learned from a Vince Wolford, a Logan Makins, a Gerard Mayo, some tremendous leaders over my time here in New England. Now, has it been an adjustment now that you're the, the big vet? Uh, You know, yes and no. Dude, um, I got to be honest. Like, it's so weird because – you, I'm sure people talk about your career like you've been playing for 13 years. You're a veteran, but like you look like you're 21, dude. <laughs> like, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, was it a big adjustment? It was, because I think again, for 12 years of my career, you always had someone else to look to, right? If something was going wrong, people were coming to you for answers. Certainly. You tried to give them those answers, but if you ever stumped or if there was ever a situation that came up that you had been presented with, you always had someone else in the locker room that you can go to uh, who was older than you, who had experienced and done it all. So this year was a little bit different. And I think, you know, obviously with Tom's departure, it kind of led to a culture shift. Like we got to find a new identity, got to do this in a different way. Obviously our core principles will be the same but what does this look like and how do we do it? And I think, you know, being able to have a guy like Devin McCourty in there, Jason McCourty, um, guys like David Andrews, those of us who have kind of been with Tom, learned, learned a lot from Coach Belichick. You know, we tried our best to, to step up in, in the right way. It was just a challenging area. I think, you know, with COVID, with new guys coming in, um, it was challenging in a lot of ways, and certainly we're all disappointed with the outcome. Uh, but I, I hope that my hope is that everyone learned and grew on a personal level this year, and and I think that's going to benefit us down the road. Teams lose sometimes, man. Teams lose. That's the name. That's the way it goes. I know, right? 
has it just been like have has any like Patriots fan just like giving you a side eye like any weird interactions <laughs> it was all love uh, last year and now it's just like dude what's wrong uh thankfully I haven't had any any negative encounters uh you know it's funny like some of the neighbors sometimes would be like you guys, you got it. You guys got to get it going. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. We're trying. Uh, and, you know, look, the fan, the fans here are used to things being a certain way, and and I'm I'm glad we should all have a standard for our teams. Uh, we should all want to see them do well, and as players, we should all have that same. You know, our standards should be higher than the fans. So, you know, I'm hoping that this is just a one off, and uh, you know, I have a lot of faith. Bill and his staff and the organization to be able to get things back on track. I do too, man. And I'm hoping next season there might hopefully be fans too at Gillette. Oh, uh, that would be great. I mean, we missed the fans this year. They playing the first game of the year against Miami, you know, guys are making plays. I don't realize how much, how many cues you take from the crowd. Like when something's going well, as a play is developing, the crowd kind of gears up. And you kind of gear up and realize, okay, this is a good – that first game, it felt like, you know, we were scrimmaging. So, it was an adjustment not having them there. I hope I hope we can get them back in there next year. Now, let's rewind just like 13 years. You're 21, 22 going into the league. Did you, did you first see this type of career for yourself? Like, did you have inklings? <laughs> like, being really honest, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm a little more disciplined than most players – I don't care about as much. I don't really care about the glitz and the glam. Like you must've had an idea that you had a shot at having this type of career, right? No, I gotta be honest with you. <clears throat> Never in my wildest dreams would I, would I have thought that I'd be here with all that I've been able to experience as a player uh, 13 years later. I mean, I remember praying, Lord, just let me make it to training camp, please, without getting cut. I mean, I, I didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, you know, you have this picture in your head of the NFL. And everybody runs four, three, or everybody is the biggest guy, strongest guy, fastest guy. And you, and you have a question like, can I fit in? Do I have what it takes? And a part of you believes that you do, but a part of you still wonders. And I think coming in here to a team who had been undefeated the year before until the Super Bowl, you're thinking, man, this is going to be one of the hardest clubs in football to make. Uh, and then understanding what my role was going to be. You know, when Bill drafted me, he told me, look, I don't know what position you're going to play. I don't know if you're going to play receiver. I don't know if you're going to play safety. I'm bringing you here to, to play the kicking game. Uh, so I just thought to myself, let me take this one day at a time and see where it gets me. You know, I had some some ambitious goals, but not shared outside of my house. Um, you know, I just wanted to go in there and and see if I had what it, what it took to play in the NFL. And, you know, to look back, 13 year on all that has happened, uh, all the great memories, all the great teammates, um, you know, certainly some of the really cool accolades. I, I just feel very blessed. Uh, like I was telling telling you earlier with my faith, I feel like God has really shown me a lot of favor, unmerited. Uh, I just kind of try to keep my head down, remain humble and keep working. And, and it's, it's really brought me some cool things along the way. I mean, dude, you're a Super Bowl champion. I don't know if people can say that. That's awesome. Man, three times, three times. I apologize. <laughs> you said you were being humble. You were being <laughs> humble. Now, um, so this offseason now, 
you're just just training you go on trips like what do you do you know it's it's uh it's different obviously with COVID, COVID, right? I mean, you'd like to be a little bit more mobile and doing things. I normally would go back to California, uh, see my folks, spend some time with my brother who's out there as well, let our kids play with the grandparents. But, you know, we're trying to be cautious to see how we want to proceed. Hopefully we'll get out of here. Um, You know, my wife would love to get on the vacation. She's been quarantined with three kids for a year almost. So, uh, we'll see. We'll kind of play it by ear, uh, see how things go as, as you know, the offseason unfolds. Now, how old you son? Five? Yeah, my oldest, Jeremiah, is five. Hannah, she's three. And then Noah, my other son's like uh, 17 months, like one and a half. Okay, so I'd ask Rob a similar question. So when they get to be like 12, 13, 14, and they start playing sports, who are you going to like, who's the first person you're going to tell them that you tackled, like that you're most pumped about? Ooh. Or a play. That is. Ninkovich. Great Brendan, question. Brendan, what did, who did Rob say? Oh, he said Peyton Manning. He's like, I would tell him Peyton Manning. Ah, uh, that's a good one from him. Uh, for me, who would it be? I mean, there have been some really good players, some really good returners that I've that I've played against. You know what? I, I might tell them, and this this wasn't even a special teams tackle. You know, I got a chance to play 2011 for three games, and I mean that that year was a struggle. I mean, we had you know every able body played on defense that year, but I tackled Reggie Wayne in a game, and I remember thinking to myself like, man, this guy's gonna be a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> You know, like I'm on the same field as this caliber. I think I've had several moments like that. My rookie year lining up next to Junior Seau, a guy who I grew up in Southern California. This he was the biggest name ball in Southern California. Went to SC, played for the Chargers forever. And I'm like, man, I'm on the team with Junior Seau. Like, this is like not real life at all. I think it'll be things like that. You know, obviously playing with Tom and Randy. Uh, the conversations we've had and the experiences, I can't wait to share those with my kids. Uh, my son, who's five, is already into football, so he'll be eating that stuff up. I know, but you're not pressuring him, right? I'm not pressuring him. Well, <laughs> if he wants to be a dentist, if he wants to be a salesman, whatever he wants to do, I want to support my son. <laughs> but certainly, if he wants to play football, you'll support it. <laughs> I have, I'll support that as well. Well, with that, like a lot of parents are a little more on the fence about having their kids play football now because of like concussions. Right. You think, right. You think the sport's shifting? Like, does that worry you at all? Uh, you know, I do. Uh, I'm not sure what this game's going to look like 20, 30 years from now. It's already changed a ton from the time my dad played or even from the time that I first started playing in this league. So you may, it makes you wonder what the game is going to be uh, in the future. I know that youth participation is down across the, the nation, you know, and, and I personally don't believe young kids, my son's age need to be playing tackle football. Um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't play until I got to, to high school. I don't think it's an absolute necessity, but I don't think the game is going to go extinct. I think the game will continue to evolve. It's such a great game. It teaches you so much about life. In my opinion, that, you know, work, hard work, discipline, learning to work with others, 
this goes on. There's so many great things that football brings. You know, understanding that are involved, um, you know, it'll be interesting. We'll have to monitor it. Uh, it certainly won't look like it looks now, 20 years from now, but hopefully they're still playing it. Hey, B, you want to ask Matthew a question? Yeah, sure. So we've asked, uh, we asked James and Rob this question too, but what was your most gratifying Super Bowl win? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, it's hard. It's hard to pick one. Um, but I think for me, the one in 14, uh, in a lot of ways – the Seahawks one. Uh, so that would have been the fourth one. And I think, you know, there was the the first generation of the dynasty, if you will, the old guard. Um, they put the foundation in place, and they, they started the Patriot way, if you will. They started the winning. They started the culture that exists here. And I think for so long, they were held in much higher regard than the rest of us because we had never won. So there was a group of us that came in you know, I came in on the back end of that. I came in 08, Eddie and Junior, and those guys were here. So I got to, to a bit of that. And then I think for the seven years between my rookie year and the time we won, there were always these comparisons. You would always hear, well, if we had that guy in 04 and 03, you know, then we would have won this game, or that guy was tougher, or that guy did that, or that team. And no knock on those guys, but for us, it was like, man, you know, we wanted a seat at the table as well. We felt like we were trying to carry on the tradition, but we knew we needed to win. I mean, anything short of winning, it didn't matter. It didn't matter, you know, guys going to Pro Bowls, us winning 14 games in the regular season. It didn't matter until we won. In that game in 14, in my mind, it felt like I'm a Patriot. Like now... I'm a Patriot because now I've won a champion until you win a championship. You know, you can't be really associated with the Patriots. And that's just the way that I thought. So that to win that game in 14, it really meant a lot to me personally, because I feel like for a big group of us, you know, Edelman, McCordy, Gronkowski, uh, you know, the list goes on. There were a number of guys that been on that had been on that team for a while that it meant a lot to us to win and to win the game the way that we did um, just in dramatic fashion. Uh, it was really, really gratifying. And for me, it felt like, okay, like they can never say that we didn't win. And then obviously to go on and match with that first, that old guard did has been tremendous as well. But that first one was very gratifying. Now, when you saw them drop back to pass, Russell Wilson drop back to pass, like when you were watching, were you like, I can't believe this, or did it happen so fast? Was time? I mean, <laughs> it happened so fast. I mean, we're all thinking the same thing. Like Marshawn is running the ball. The guy's a monster out there. Like can't get him down. He's running over people. So you're thinking, man, we're gonna have to find a way to tackle him. And then you see Russell drop back, and it's like, man, they're passing. But you never in your mind think like we're gonna get him on the goal line. And it just happened so fast. I think it took a while for me to process, like, oh, Malcolm intercepted it. Oh, we're going to win the game. Like, it was like a delayed, like, oh, we're about to win. Um, but that that's one of those plays I'll never forget. And, you know, you, you've heard people talk about how it happened in practice. It did happen in practice. 
and for it to unfold that way in the game, and you can't you couldn't draw it up to happen like that. Dude, it was awesome to watch. Oh, so much fun. So much fun. Well, hey, man, I had a blast. Thank you so much. Oh, Connor, man, I appreciate it, man. I, and I thank you for giving me the platform to kind of talk about my faith there. I really appreciate that, man. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Now, I have two ending bits. Okay. Are you ready for them? I think. Let's see. Well, one, you want to see what I look like without a hat? Yeah, what do we got? Yeah. Uh, there, we, there we go. I got the Rick Pacino <laughs> slicky, baby. I'm, lo- I'm looking like the guy on uh, the front cover of your favorite Lucky Charms box. <laughs> now, one, my goal with this podcast has eternally been I wanted to just meet a bunch of people in the city because I wanted to make a Boston-based movie and put it in theaters all over the city and for everyone to enjoy it. I didn't tell anyone that for a while, but I made the movie. And so all I ask is when I drop this thing, hopefully late spring, early summer, you just watch it with your wife. Do not watch it with the kids because it is not PG, but just watch <laughs> it with your wife. We, we can do that. There's no doubt. We'll Stay do less. that. You'll enjoy it. My, the cut I just got is 47 minutes, so it's not that big of a commitment. Okay, we can do that. Let's go. That's number one. Number two, this is how we start and end the show. You have to, I'm only going to say this once. You ready? All right. Hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Okay. Hi, this is Matthew Slater. And this is my golden hour. Hi, this is Matthew Slater. And that was my golden hour. Dude, that was beautifully executed. There we go. <laughs> my guy. All right. On one take. Let's go. I know, man. One take Drake. <laughs> hey, dude, thank you so much. Oh, no, the pleasure is mine, Connor. I appreciate it. It's great meeting you, man. Appreciate you. Let me come on and share a bit about my story. Absolutely. We'll do it again in a year. And um, when we get off off the call, I'll get a good address and I'll shoot you over a new sweatshirt. What size are you, a large? I'm a large. Me too, man. Two alpha males. Yes, sir. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. Brother, brother. thank you. All right, brother. All right, brother. <laughs> All right, man. I'll see you. All right.